Hey guys, we don't always ask for favours, but I'm going to ask for one right now. If you're enjoying the show, you love the show, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Give us a review. It doesn't have to be five stars, although that would be fantastic if it was. But please do it. It'll help us out a lot, and we'd really appreciate the love. Uh, guys, I'm Michael Carboni. This is episode 60 of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. Hit the music, Mercho. You're listening to Chasing Kangaroos, the rugby league podcast for fans who are passionate about seeing the game played in more places. All right, well, we're back and I'm back. I'm on my own for this little bit right now, but big T. The Biggest Tiger has recorded an awesome interview with Andrew Ferguson. Uh, he's, as far as rugby league historians go, he's the Australian answer to Tony Collins, in my opinion. Absolutely fantastic. He's the owner of the rugbyleagueproject.org website, and he's a co-host of Fergo and the Freak podcast with uh, with The Freak. Uh, awesome show as well. They they crank out like three podcasts a week, so listen to them if you can. they got some pretty interesting opinions. So he and Big T, they talk all things original Rugby World Cup. And when I say Rugby World Cup, I mean Rugby League World Cup because that was the first Rugby World Cup. That's right, we did it. It was us. Uh, and, this, yeah, I haven't heard this interview yet, so I'm going to hear it for the first time with you guys right right now or very soon anyway um so yeah really excited and looking forward to that but there's some good news there's been some big news rugby league is sort of starting to wake up again so we've got some bits and pieces of news bits and pieces of golden points as well so first of all the warriors we heard tonight or at time of recording uh, which is monday night that the warriors are allowed into the country uh, which is going to be great uh, for the nrl starting may 20 28 so things are happening one step at a time Everyone was bagging it out a few weeks ago. It's looking really likely now that it's going to happen at that date, and we can't wait. And I know you can't either. Rugby League is coming back. It's going to be freaking amazing. The other big thing that they're talking about with this NRL season is that Origin will be at the end of the season. So we'll have our 15 to 17 rounds, what have you. We'll have our finals. Uh, We'll have our grand final. Then there'll be three weeks of Origin, uh, consistent one after the other, which is going to be really cool. I like that. I kind of hope. We go with that in the future as well. I like the idea of having our NRL season, then having Origin at the end in three weeks, and then having our internationals. Um, and of course, that's just Kangaroo internationals. The Kiwis and Tonga can be playing each other during Origin or Oceania Cup or what have you during Origin as well. But I just think it makes so much sense to build it up that way, have it very separate. Origin doesn't impact the competition. I just think, you know, if there's one positive to come out of everything that's happening right now, and there's a couple, let's be honest, but that's a big positive, I think, for Rugby League. We're going to see that Origin works um, after the season, and hopefully it's something we keep moving forward. So, guys, some golden points. Let's hit it. So, speaking of Rugby League coming back, golden point Serbia. And, uh, well, the Serbian comp, it's on again. It's it's finally restarting. Uh, the Ministry of Sport in Serbia have announced that sport is back and Serbian Rugby League, the competition will be back June 6 and 7. So that is fantastic news. Uh, and I'm going to be watching it on Sports Flick Global and you can too. So let me know, guys, if you are on Sports Flick, if you're watching Serbian Rugby League on Sports Flick, go for it. If you're not yet, then use the discount code Chasing Kangaroos. You get your 75% off for three months. So it's basically like $10 a month US. $2.50 a month US if you use the 
Chasing Kangaroos discount code. So thank you to our friends at Sports Flick Global. Uh, and yeah, I'm going to catch some Serbian Rugby League when it starts again on June 30. So that's really cool. Uh, Golden Point, Oceana. So we're hearing some some positive news and we sort of spoke about, you know, the end of the NRL season um, having the State of Origin series afterwards. I'm hearing Oceana Cup is going to go ahead as well this year, which is really cool. We, we, we're thinking that the Kangaroo Tour won't happen, that, that the um, international travel isn't really going to be happening at that stage, but we can still have our Oceana Cup. So New Zealand, uh, Fiji and Tonga in, in T1 and of course T2 as well with Samoa, Papua New Guinea and of course the Cook Islands. So that can all happen. I'm assuming it's going to happen during that origin period. Um, I can't say too much more at this stage, but watch this space and I'm pretty sure Oceana Cup, I'm 98% sure that Oceana Cup is happening this year which is incredible news for International Rugby League and International Rugby League fans. Um, some sad news, so Golden Point over to Greece. So the Greek Rugby League Association have declared the 2019-2020 uh, season a white season, which means there will be no champion crown. They've actually gotten through like 19 games out of their 32-game season, um, and the final was meant to happen in June, but sport won't be coming back online in Greece until July. So it pretty much scraps their season. They said they've thought about um, hosting a grand final, like a hasty little grand final at the end between some of the top clubs, but it's probably not going to happen. Um, and it's too hard. They can't just pick a champ depending on who's coming first because the title race is so close between the Rhodes Knights, the current champions, of course, the RS Eagles, the runners-up last year, and the Attica Rhinos are doing really well as well. So unfortunately... This season, a Greek rugby league, as if as if rugby league in Greece hasn't been through enough, well, this season's going to be a white season, but they'll be back bigger and better than ever in season 2021 as they lead up towards their first World Cup uh, campaign. So Greek rugby league will get stronger, but unfortunately, that's how it is. Uh, guys, golden point over to Canada. So good news coming from the Ottawa Aces. They're going to be holding some elite level tryouts exclusively for Canadian athletes which I think this is great. We're going to see more Quinn Nawadis uh, coming through the ranks at the Ottawa Aces, and I think that is going to be amazing. Uh, side note, I had I recorded my interview with Quinn Nawadi a couple of nights ago. That's going to be released in a few weeks' time. He's such a nice guy. We had such a great chat. I can't wait to release that one, but that's in the bag, ready to go, and will be released soon. So, And hopefully more Quinn Nawadis coming through the Aces as well with this. If you're Canadian, if you're a rugby league player, rugby union player, if you're an athlete, Whatever, if you think you got what it takes, uh, jump on the Ottawa Aces Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. All the information is there. Try out and uh, yeah, come on the show when you make it. That'll be awesome, uh, guys. Uh, Golden Point uh, over to Europe. Um, so the RLEF have announced that the 2020 Euro Under 19s, which is meant to be in Lignano, Italy, uh, has been moved. So it's been cancelled this year. Well, not cancelled. Sorry. It's been moved. So it's going to happen still in Lignano, Italy in 2021. So it's great that it's still on. We're happy about that. Glad it's not a casualty on the sporting calendar. But that was a really important uh, event for the Italian Rugby League hosting that in Lignano. All of uh, Rugby League Europe's eyes would be on the, on the sport and in that country. It's fantastic that it's still happening. Uh, golden point over to the USA. It's not Rugby League related, but Daniel Vito, the ex-Raider, ex-Dragon, X, who else did he play for? The Broncos. Who, I think he played for one other, but Daniel Vito, uh, he made his SmackDown debut in the WWE last week, which is freaking awesome. Um, 
I just think okay, I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast during our 60 episodes. I used to watch a lot of WWE, WWF as a kid. I haven't watched it in years, so I haven't seen I haven't seen Daniel Vito wrestling or anything like that. But I think it's a big deal because he's going to be one of these megastars worldwide. Like people are going to know who Daniel Vito is. They're going to look into his story, watch some of his rugby league history, and it's just like the guys in Brazil who saw clips of Sonny Bill Williams playing rugby union. He's a megastar. They end up tracing his story all the way back to the Canterbury, Canterbury Bulldogs in rugby league, the Roosters in rugby league, and Brazil started playing rugby league because of that. So I think we're going to see things like that happening with Daniel Vito. He's going to be a megastar, and that is awesome for our game. Hashtag grow the game. It's awesome for international rugby league. And the final golden point over to Brazil. So the Brazilian women's rugby league team, their logo has been unveiled uh, for the 2021 World Cup. It's really cool. We posted it on our socials today, again, saying it's Monday at time of recording, and it's on fire. Like, so many likes, so many retweets, so many shares. Um, you guys seem to love it. If you haven't seen it yet, check us out, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and uh, look for it. It's a really cool logo. So good on you to the team at Brazil, Brazil Rugby League. That's awesome. All right, guys. Well, that's it from me. I'm going to throw it over to Big T for his interview um, with Andrew Ferguson. And after that, don't forget, last week we started a competition, hashtag Ask Mascot Browns. Uh, we're giving away a Nicaragua Rugby League jersey courtesy of Mascot Browns. We asked you guys to ask us a question and ask Mascot Browns a question via social media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Make sure you're following us. Make sure you're following Mascot Browns and use the hashtag, hashtag AskMascotBrowns. We had a bunch of questions. We had some really good ones. Well, after this interview uh, with Andrew Ferguson, I'll be back with Phil Brown from Mascot Browns. He's going to let you guys know who the winner is, what the question was. He's going to answer that question, and we're going to give, give away that Nicaragua jersey. So, guys, I'll be back on the other side of this. But until then, over to you, Big T. Really looking forward to this, this interview, mate. Cheers. Thanks, Carbs. Today we have Twitter god Andrew Ferguson at Andrew RLP. I mean, he's a he's a Twitter god to me, but anyone who's ever been on the website that he's a huge part of would know that he's the backbone of all rugby league research. Please, uh, Andrew, please take our welcome for chasing kangaroos with us. Hi, absolute pleasure to be on. Uh, now we've got a World Cup coming up next year. There is no one in the world other than maybe. Prince Harry, although I don't even call him Prince anymore, um, that I'd want to sit down and talk to about the World Cup. Uh, are you also super excited about it? Yeah, although I'd, I reckon if you had Prince Harry in here or Harry, I reckon that that'd be a good little twist add in there. So check out his rugby league knowledge. Yeah, I think, but he would be. He has a gift. I think all of those royals, the all the training they get is how to expertly walk through a conversation that they know nothing about. And I think would be he would end up having a fantastic chat with you about almost anything. And obviously I would drag him towards rugby league. But why? Um, one question I might ask him, and I'm definitely going to ask you, is why are World Cups so important to rugby league? Yeah, it's a good question. And for me, I think it's um, we, we get to see the state of the game globally, I guess, in a sense. It makes people appreciate the game outside of, you know, the bubble of the country that you live in. Mm. Um and it tends to make fans a bit more passionate about the international game, which is something I, I really, really uh, heavily endorse. Do you have a team outside of Australia that you often feel yeah. for? Or? Yeah, and I mean, it, it's it's something I don't hide. Um, I, I love watching France play in the World Cup. Really? Yeah. Um, 
and it comes down to obviously as a historian, it's, it comes down to how important they were to the World Cup existence. And I, I just want to see them get some just rewards out of this thing at some stage. So I'm always happily cheering on France. Mm, okay, well, they've been excellent before. They're not so excellent now. We have a World Cup coming up next year or um, soon. What will be three of the biggest differences between the one coming up and the first one? I'll, I'll do my best to avoid the obvious answers, like the number of teams and stuff yeah. like that. Um, first one, Australia actually wants to be at this World Cup. Ah, what do you mean? So when the first World Cup was being organised, Australia put up a lot of barriers as to why they couldn't play in it. And France, they were the only team that was, well, the only nation that came out saying that a World Cup needs to take place. So every time Australia put up a barrier, France knocked it down. And in the end, Australia had no option but to come along and play. Why? Like, why were Australia um, putting up barriers? Um, just, just different reasons. So the first one was uh, what the first date they put up, uh, France put up for the World Cup to be held. Australia said, oh, no, no, that's going to clash with when the Great Britain lines are going to come over to Australia. So we can't do that. So France said, okay, we'll change the date. And so every time there was something come up, there was another one about the cost of flights to go over there and the cost of accommodation over there and just little things that kept coming up. France just kept saying, we'll fix it, we'll fix it, we'll fix it. And Australia just went, fine, just to shut you up, we'll come along. And it's mm. kind, of, kind of the mood you sort of got from it. And, um, yeah, France, they don't get enough credit for what they did to get a, a World Cup actually be actually started in rugby league and so um, and so just for anyone who didn't know it's, it's it's hosted the first ones in france what year 1954 and is there a reason why france in the mid 50s was really vibing that this is a good time to have a world cup well actually it goes back to uh in the 1930s not long after france first got rugby league you know on the actual country there they were started to talk about getting a a, a rugby league world cup up and running then mm. um so after the miserable time they went through during World War II, which we'll right. get to later, um, they came back and there was just this absolute groundswell of passion within France for rugby league. Um, and they, they were, quickly became an absolute powerhouse in the international rugby league stage. And because they went to all the effort of getting this up and running in 1954, um, it just seemed fitting that because they've done all the work, they should host it. Right. Okay, so there's one big difference. Australia actually wants to be there. What's, yep. your, what's another big difference? Um, France not being the favourite. Uh, uh, so the French side of the 50s and 60s were, as I said before, right, widely regarded as the greatest international rugby league side. They reached the final in 1954 and lost in an upset to Great Britain, and they lost again in 1968 in the final. Oh. So shows you just how big they were at the time. Mm. They were always there and thereabouts. Why do you think it's declined then? What, what's, the, what's happened in the last how many years that is, that 70 years? I think what happened was, um, as I said, they had all that, that big groundswell and all that passion for rugby league after what happened during World War II, that that first generation that's, that survived through that period, um, they came through and they were dominant, but the next generation after that didn't have that immense passion for the game that the, the team prior to them had that's my view of it yeah yeah and that's why it, look it didn't go you know straight off a cliff after those guys retired because in 78 france beat australia in two tests in in france and that was a pretty strong australian side mm. so they were still competitive but it was just after that you know as, as soon as the 1980s came along the game really just went downhill in france really quickly it struggled to get back and that's is it because of rugby union 
in the, in that time in the eighties and nineties? Possibly. Um, like they also struggled with finances. Okay. Um, and a lot of that, you know, if they had been able to get their money back after the uh, the Vichy decree during World War Two, who knows how big rugby league in France would have been. Yeah, wow, okay. This is a little World War Two chat. I like it. And and then your third biggest difference. Third one, icon versus icon. So arguably the greatest player ever from Australia, Clive Churchill, took on, uh, not even arguably, the greatest French player of all time, Puig Aubert. And they played in the fifth game of the tournament. Pugobert's French team won fifteen to five. Wow! And I, I find it hard to think that we'll ever see an opportunity where two of the greatest players from each country are going to play in a game at the same time. Mm. Now, this isn't the guy. Is he a fullback? This French bloke? Yeah, both of them were. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. Now, is he the bloke who who almost never got tackled or, or made a tackle? Almost never made a tackle. Yeah. There I love a, this guy. Did you read this? Yeah, there's an odd story about him where um, someone asked him, you know, why don't you ever make a tackle? And he says, those two blokes up there in front of me, that's their job to do all that. My job's to run around and zip in and out and score all the tries and kick all the goals. Now, there's another story I've heard, I think, about the same guy who, um, and I could be mixing these stories up. I read a great book by Ian, um, Ian Heads, who, and he had said a story about this guy hated it because he also wore a toupee. And so there was one time where one of the Australian blokes finally got a hold of him and tackled him down, and his toupee came off, and that's why he actually never wanted to get tackled. <laughs> I don't know how true I've, that I've, story is. But... I've not heard of that one, but I wouldn't be surprised. That, that's a fascinating one. Yeah, there you go. I mean, don't put it on the website yet. Go and fact-check the uh, book. Um, okay. okay, so and all of them around France. I can see now that you are a budding French fan. This is starting to make a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think it comes down to, you know, if you look into – what happened to rugby league in France during World War Two? It's hard not to have a soft spot for them, right? You know the uh, the Nazi line Vichy government in France um, passed a decree to delete rugby league. That was the actual wording, mm. um, and all of all of rugby league's assets in France were taken from them and almost entirely given to rugby union. And there was never been a uh, you know no no one's ever been made to pay back the money. Um, and I don't even think that they've ever got an apology either. I don't understand. Well, and this is just because they were under a different government at the time. Well, I think the I think it was a, about a professionalism aspect of the game. They, they were shutting down professional sports all throughout France, ah. but particular focus was put on rugby league because, um, you know, rumor. Well, not rumor. I think there was a lot of a lot of uh, rugby union officials were part of that uh, government at the time. This is such a an old story where fancy upper class union people have some kind of control and they beat down on the rugby league people and it comes back to professionalism. I can't believe yeah. it's even happening in World War Two France. This and the story. crazy thing is, so I, I just, there's some themes that come up again from when rugby league first began in England with with what happened with France during the uh, World War Two, and they were tying uh, professionalism to something that was unreligious. Ah. And that was kind of what they were going on. You know, it was it goes against what God would have wanted or some sort of thing like that. Um, if you want to learn more about it, I'll tell you what, get into uh, The Forbidden Game by Mike Rylance. Absolutely phenomenal book. Okay. Um, goes into all of that in great detail. Uh, one of the greatest books I've, I've read uh, about rugby league's history. I'm going to come to that in just one moment. I just want to grab one thing you said before, that Clive Churchill was the greatest Australian Footballer. Now, is that because you don't count Daily Messenger as being Australian and he's actually British, or you don't count Daily Messenger as being better? 
No, I, I, I did say arguably. I, I haven't actually made a conscious decision in my mind oh. who was the best. I'm calling you out on it. I feel like I feel like you might you're putting an asterisk on it now, but if there's a lot of time in there that feels like you're saying Clive is. You're allowed to say whichever one you want. Yeah, I I find it hard because for me, I don't know if I'd pick either of them. What the hell? Then who are you putting up there? Duncan Thompson. Oh God, this is why I love talking to you. So who on earth is Duncan Thompson? He was a, a Queensland halfback, and he played for North Sydney. In, just be, just just after World War One, and he was a part of the North Sydney team. A very strong reason why North Sydney won their two premierships. Mm. And then after a um, incident in nineteen twenty three, where he got very very upset about an allegation leveled against him that he kicked a player, uh, he left Sydney, went back to Toowoomba, and then you know led the Toowoomba side to several undefeated seasons and yeah, absolute wow. greatness there and uh, phenomenal phenomenal player. Uh, became an Australian selector, and then he was the uh, one of the key figures who helped Wayne Bennett turn into coaching. So shut up. A lot of what Duncan Thompson did as a player and as a coach lives on today through Wayne Bennett. So he's got a legacy that lasts over a hundred years. I feel like I should end the episode now. That's a phenomenal uh, thing to say. Can you also tell me, was Duncan... I, I, I was, was going to say, I can add a bit more to it. He actually played his entire career with a bullet in his lung because he, he got shot uh, in World War One. <laughs> got shot in World War One. Doctors told him he shouldn't be playing any more sport because it could kill him. He went and played for Australia and went on tours to England, stuff like that, and went back and fought in World War Two as well. <laughs> What the hell is going on with this guy? And when is the selector? Can I try and tie it back to World Cup? Did he end up being a selector around the time that we're going to World Cups? Yeah, yeah. He was he was a selector in the 50s because um, he, he helped coach uh, Keith Holman. And uh, Keith Holman was playing around the 50s and the 60s. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What a story. Um, I don't want to take us off him just yet. Are we, is there anything else I should know about him? I was just about to move us off him a moment ago, and then we've got the lung story. So... Oh, that, that's that's pretty much it. The rest okay. is just would just be filler, I guess. But that that they're the they're the main big points. Far out. I mean, playing with a broken jaw or you know a broken scapula is pretty amazing, and I'm certainly not taking away. But playing season after season with a bullet in your lung, unbelievable. Yeah. Now, you you spoke before about that book that you absolutely love. Now, you are an author yourself, sir. Can have you got another one? Your first one was uh, excellent. It's, it's like a. It's like an easy-to-digest history of rugby league. Yep. Um, with stuff about World Cups in it. Yes. And have you got another one? Wait, so you've got a bunch on the back burner. Is, that, am, I, is am I right in thinking that? Yeah, there's quite a few uh, in the pipeline at the moment. And any about rugby? Any, well, they're all about rugby league. Any about World Cups? Not at this stage. First, the one I'm currently working on is looking at um, biographies of players who played for Australia in the, uh, in the first few years of the game here. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of the stories of those players are not known. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, going through quite a lot of effort to try and get those stories out there. That book's been given the the green light by a new publisher, so all the uh, flogging myself stupid, I guess, to try and get that one sorted out and, and um, finished off soon. So I'm, I'm about a quarter of the way through that one. Excellent, because I know one of the episodes I listened to of your podcast, Ferg on the Freak, that you did one about 1909, because a lot of people talk about the success and the people around 1908. 
but you had a really good look into 1909 and highlighted a whole bunch of characters that people hadn't heard of or seen before, and and so it's great that we're going to get a whole book about it. But if you were going to write a book about the first World Cup, um, what would be some of the best stories that you'd be sure to include about it? Uh, well, I think the first one is how the USA almost became one of the teams competing in it. So France lobbied very hard for the USA side to be included in the World Cup, but English officials said pretty much as strongly no because they didn't think that they should be included because they haven't played any test matches anywhere. Okay. France decided that they would play a match against USA to test how competitive they would be. France won the game 31-0, and it was pretty much decided mm. then and there that they weren't going to be good enough. I love uh, that France, again, has seen a roadblock. And, oh, yeah, they haven't played a test match, and we'll just play them. Yeah. <laughs> and France France didn't go out of their way to try and make it easy for them either. They named their full-strength side for that game. <laughs> so it shows you that the USA, were, while they were soundly beaten, they weren't that far off for a country that had only been playing the game for several months. Right, 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 right. Yeah, only um, 31. 31's not too horrible. Yeah, um, and that's against arguably the best team in the world at the time too. Sure, sure. Um, so France then decided they wanted to get Wales to come into the World Cup. And again, England went, no, 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 we're Great Britain, Wales are a part of us. And that was pretty mm. much the end of any sort of expansion there. So it just stayed as the four teams, Australia, Great Britain, France, and New Zealand. Okay, great. There's one great story. Any other that you'd be sure to try and put in? Well, the one was, which I touched on before was how – France went to went to knocking down all the blocks that Australia put up as to why they couldn't go. In the end, Australia agreed to attend the World Cup on a few provisos that the French Rugby League would pay for return airfares for all players. Wow. And they would pay £2,000 to all competing teams to cover accommodation and player allowances and that the date of the tournament shifted from May 1954 to October and November of the same year so that Australia could still get the all the gate takings from the big Lions tour and then they can go and play in this at the end of the year and not not spend a cent, really. How can France afford any of this? Where's their money coming from? They had the money. So they said yes to all of this. In return, France uh, it was agreed that France would retain 20% of all gate receipts to cover grand hire and organisation expenses, mm. Mm. and they'd also receive the first £5,000 of the remaining profits any other profits after that would be shared equally among the other three competing nations. Wow. I feel like that's really generous. So everyone else has already got paid. Yep. And France got their money back and all the other countries also got a little bit of money as well. Okay. So it worked out in France's favour in the long run, but, yeah, they outlaid a lot to get it happening. And then wow. it wasn't until 1972 that they got to host another World Cup and that's the last time they hosted one. Mm. Why is that? Um, I think because of their their decline. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was just it was just decided, I guess, that maybe they weren't the best place to go. And yeah. I think administration at the time was always trying to, and I think they still do to a degree this today. Is let's go to where the market's already set because we know all the fans are there. It's our mm. best chance of getting people through the gates to get maximum money for it and stuff like that. But that's uh, what I was going to ask you. Did you do you think that sending it to a country that isn't big on it yet? like America or France where it used to be, would actually be a positive thing? I I think it would be. Mm. Um, yeah, as I said, I, I think the it, it's almost criminal how they haven't gone back to France in you know, nearly 50 years for, for an exclusive French-only World Cup or even a France and Catalonia World Cup. Yes. 
Because we've seen a big blossoming um, in that part of Spain. They're, they're starting to really love it. Absolutely. Okay. Um, what about how are you feeling about you seem you seem pretty annoyed. <laughs> You're feeling pretty annoyed towards the, the lack of French love. But how are you feeling generally towards the World Cup coming up? I, I love World Cups. I always look forward to them. Um, and as I said, I find myself always cheering on France. Uh, so the only thing which I suppose I got to is I'm disappointed that this one has been decided they're going to play it in England. I know that it was pretty close to being played in the USA and Canada, I think, wasn't it, before yeah. the bid fell over. But I just felt it was they, they were very quick to just say, oh, let's just take it to England. I just think there's the opportunities there. We know that France have the have a support base there. Why not just take it back to France and you know play a bit a few games in Catalonia as well? Mm. Um, I just think that's a, a great opportunity, and they completely missed it because, as we've seen quite a few times now, the World Cups don't tend to get huge crowds in in Britain, and I don't see that they're going to lose that much in crowd size if they take it to France. If they lose any, I think they'd probably get huge huge crowds in France for the World Cup there. Mm. And instead of talking instead of talking about what you're excited about for the World Cup, you've gone back to being angry about France. I love it. You're that, yeah. you're that serious about it. Well, France, uh, France don't seem to get cranky about it, so I'm getting cranky on their behalf. Yeah. No, I mean, they, they revolt and get upset about everything else. You'd think that they'd be upset about this. But exactly. Cheese-eating surrender monkeys, some of them. Uh, now, that's all the questions I have. I'm sure that I've missed some other amazing bits of your knowledge about World Cup. Is there anything, particularly the first one, is there anything else you want, any other gems you wanted to chuck in? Um, no, I mean, I suppose the, the big one was it was widely regarded that Australia would be playing France in the in the final. And it ended up being France versus Great Britain. And so mm. then it was widely regarded that France would just would romp home with the win. And Great Britain won the final. And it was just, for me, it's the it's possibly the only World Cup that we've had where there was such a big, you know, I suppose. Upset. Or, uh, up, up, upsets, yeah, yeah. Because mm. two, two major things that weren't supposed to happen did happen. And that was Great Britain getting in there and Great Britain winning. Yeah, great. Well, uh, let's hope that never happens again. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> let's hope that this World Cup, Australia plays France in the final. Yes. And then we can see where you're – because I know Carbs loves going for oh, whoever's playing I'll, Australia. I'll be cheering on France. Don't you worry about that. Wow. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how you go. I, I completely understand how you do it, but when you're physically in that moment, often people talk about they don't know who they're going to go for, and then when we start watching it, they can feel that they are going for one team. And I can tell you now I can logic out why you'd want the Australia to lose, but when I'm actually watching it, I can't stomach <laughs> it. I can't, like, physically make myself do it. So I don't I'm, I'm impressed. I'd say that uh, no no team in any sport in anywhere of the world is as big an underdog because of their past on France is in, in rugby league. Wow. Uh, that's, a, that's, that's a big reason why I'd, why I'd be cheering for them. Because... Surely Jamaica is a bigger underdog in the next World Cup than they, they may be, but they've never had the game deleted there and had to start again. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. But you're with the hit with the past and the history tied into it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that, that okay. that's where I'm coming from there. Mm. Uh, okay, Andrew, this has been fantastic. I've learned heaps about the World Cup, which is was always gonna happen. My friend Duncan Thompson, who I've written down to go and find more about, um, is gonna I can't wait. You haven't done an episode on him on um Fogo and the Freak, have you? No, I haven't, but I have written an article about him, which was in Men of League magazine several years ago. Okay, great. Hopefully that's archived somewhere on the internet, so I don't uh, have to do my own research. I can yeah. just use your research like normal. It's on my blog somewhere. Also, it's probably on um, 
your website this name. Ah, the Rugby League Project. Project. If yes. I just look up, surely that, there'll be yeah. something there about Duncan. You'll find a bio there, which is written by um, Alan Whitaker in one of his uh, player encyclopedias. Love that guy. Now, also, is it? does it have a photo? I see none of your things through the No, photos. We, haven't, we haven't got oh. photos yet. That's okay, um, because I know you've just recently done like an extra thousand people or something recently. Yeah, we've, we've recently just hit a thousand teams. We've got a thousand and thirteen teams in the database now. Unbelievable! Um, and the amount of games that we've got off offline, which we've got to digitise and put in there, is going to go close to doubling the number of games we've currently got in there. So, <sighs> yeah, we're almost at halfway. And then you'll be doing the World Cup next year as well. Beautiful. Yep, yep. absolutely. Well, thank you so much for chasing kangaroos with us, Andy. Absolute pleasure, mate. All right, guys, I'm back. I hope you enjoyed that chat. Big T and Andrew Ferguson um, <laughs> learned some good things there as well. Awesome chat. Fantastic to hear from them both. Now, I've got the man with me, one half of Mascord Browns. He's back. Phil Brown, how are you, mate? Welcome back to the show. Hi, Carbs. Thanks for having me back on again. Mate, Pleasure. It's been, it's been a while. Hey, we've had a lot of conversations since you were last on the show, but it's been a long time since you've been on the podcast. Yeah, I think, uh, well, probably maybe six, six to eight months. But um, no, I, you know, I follow, I follow the podcast closely, as you know, and um, you know, I'm a big fan. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Well, we all know why you're back. So we're here to give away a Nicaragua jersey from mascotbrowns.com. We had the competition from last week. So hashtag Ask Mascot Browns. We ask you guys, the listeners, to send in or tweet Facebook or Instagram your your questions um, to Phil Brown and Steve Mascord. Hashtag Ask Mascord Browns. We had a bunch of questions. We had some really good ones. And uh, the winner, as selected by Phil, is going to win that Nicaragua jersey. So, Phil, who's the winner and what was the question? Okay, well, um, there were some really good questions. So thanks, everyone, that um, that asked, asked some questions. But uh, our winner, we're going to go with, uh, with Paul Mack. Uh, and the question was... Uh, which rugby league? Which which nation that doesn't currently play play rugby league would you like to see rugby league started up in? Awesome question. Uh, great question. What do you reckon? Uh, I mean, the first ones that come to mind would be China and India. Just obviously massive populations and huge uh, potential in those countries. Um, I'd love to see Croatia um, take up the game. We've got. Uh, a lot of expat uh, Croatians that live in Australia, and um, which could be a base to start with. Uh, and wouldn't wouldn't a, a Croatia uh, Serbia rivalry um, wouldn't that be fantastic to match uh, like a state of origin type rivalry? I like that, man. I was going to say I went to school with a lot of Croatians and Serbians, and they didn't like each other very much uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, things have obviously changed now, but that that on the football field i think that would be an awesome rivalry and yeah croatia i'm always surprised that they don't really play much rugby league considering how much rugby league we're seeing and hearing about in serbia at the moment so i think that's awesome and of course china and india you can't go past them like massive countries massive populations so much money there um if rugby league could get just a small niche in either of those countries it would be would be pretty cool but yeah good question uh paul mack on twitter thanks for that and um, how how is he going? Are you going to get in contact with him, Phil, and give him that that Nicaragua jersey? How's that going to work? Yeah, so Paul, uh, if you're listening, we will uh, send you a message, uh, get your shipping details, and uh, we'll send you out a brand new uh, Nicaragua jersey. There you go, Paul Mack, the winner of the first hashtag Ask Mascot Browns comp. The Nicaragua jersey is all yours, and Phil will have to do this again soon. 
Yep, sounds sounds good. <laughs> thanks, mate. All right, thanks, guys. That's the episode for today. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. We've got another awesome interview for you. So we'll see you next week, and fuck yeah, Nawadi. No